Welcome to Touch Heaven again. Those who are online, uh, those who are here with us, thank you. It is chilly and cold outside, um, but that's good. It's sunny. I see the sun creeping through the windows. So those of us who live in this area, um, we're just happy sometimes to see the sun. Uh, we'll take it with the cold and everything else that it comes. People get excited. My wife, she's like a cat. She gets a chair and sticks it underneath a window where the sun's coming through. And she'll just sit there uh, basking in the sun as long as she can. And when the sun moves, you'll find her later in the day at another chair at another window. Um, and she closes her eyes. And I think she thinks, believes she's in Miami or somewhere. I don't know what she thinks. If I close mine, I want to be in Israel. But uh, we, everybody has their different preferences. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. Help us, Lord, to receive that which you have for us sharp. Again, Father, as we exalt you, and Lord, as we celebrate the fact that you put the broken pieces back into jars and vessels that you create. So Lord, help us to, to again travel down that road even before we leave and go on to something else, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to receive it and help us not only to receive it, Lord, but to be those who can minister that kind of health and revelation and wellness to others. Be blessed, Holy Spirit. Guide us and keep us in Jesus' name. Well, uh, for this particular series, I had sent an e-blast out that said, God didn't break the man mold. And that takes us back to the very first image we have of the Lord, much as a potter, isn't it? In Genesis, he says he took the, took the dust from the ground. And uh, he molded it. Well, we know that dust doesn't mold very well unless you add some liquid to it, some water. And we believe that it's, it was the spoken word and the living waters of the earth. And God created that and moved it into uh, a pot, if you will, a jar, a vessel that he then filled with his breath. And he's doing the same thing today. The difference is what we're talking about is broken pieces. And we are admonishing the word of the Lord that says that he took uh, and that we are earthen vessels. And that as earthen vessels, we are here to receive the heavenly treasures. Unlike anything that we've seen before, God continues to put people back together no matter how many times we need the help. We understand that this outward man is perishing. We all suffer from the same fatal disease in this body. We shall die. This body shall perish. This body, I don't like that part of science, but it says from the moment that we come out of the womb that cells begin to die. They tell us as we get older that we're losing brain cells. I'm not receiving that, but that's what they tell us. They tell us that no matter what you try to do, there is just a fate that is upon each and every one of us that's in this species called man. And it's inevitable, inevitable that this body shall at some day return to dust. It's inevitable. Now God's going to give us a new one. We discussed that in the study of Corinthians, etc. But we don't need to sit there and, and relish on that. It's better to relish on the fact of what God's doing with this earthen vessel now. And what the capacity and the abundance of this spirit is now as we go through. 
So we understand that God has an anecdote, a spiritual anecdote for every wound, every fracture, every brokenness, broken relationships, abandonment, rejection, betrayal, failure, loss, disease. Do you know that the greatest fear that most people have, and I say most only because there's no way they could poll and ask everybody in the earth. Maybe somebody has a bigger fear. Fears happen to change in life according to what the challenge is before us, doesn't it? If you lose your, your home, the fear is never having a home again. If you don't have food, the fear is being hungry. Um, if you've been abandoned, the fear is being abandoned again. But one fear that is common to all people is the fear of disease. Everybody's afraid of a disease. Even though some may not admit it, when something comes upon someone and it says that the word comes out, whether it's from a doctor or whether they're reading online or from the mouth of somebody else, and you begin to get challenged with the fact that um, you have a disease or may have a disease, if you say you have no fear at all, you lie. Um, because it's not so much that believers in Christ are afraid of death, but who wants to suffer pain? Who wants to be debilitated? Who wants to go through the challenge of overcoming a disease? Nobody. So we have to be those who admit that it's fearful. And if I had time, I'd take you through the Bible and come up with a couple hundred names of instances of people in the Bible who had diseases. And God dealt with some of them and some of them he didn't. Some of them it was unto death and some of them it wasn't unto death. And in all of those instances, we can understand that they dealt with it in fear or the people around them did. Fear can cause us to, to stay in a constant state of brokenness. Not the kind of brokenness that God wants to honor in our hearts, but the kind of brokenness that takes us away from the abundance of what God can do and will do in our lives. Now, most of you know, because I've said it many times, this is my prayer every day. Sometimes as it comes back to me a couple times a day. How many of you, all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, some pain comes out of nowhere and hits your body? Huh? Just a few of you. Well, you know, I don't pray it on you, but it will. <laughs> and then with that pain comes a thought right away. Oh! And if it happens to be somewhere in this part of your body, is it my heart? Or somewhere, is it my kidney? Or is that my liver? Or is, is that an organ? Or what is that? Or you get dizzy for a moment and is it a stroke? It all crosses through very quickly. And that's when we need to be those who have trained our spirit to respond to the flesh quickly. And to say, I'm not receiving that. That isn't of God for me right now. I am not going to be afraid of it. I shall speak to that and tell it to be gone. And I will say, be still and know that he is God. Now you say, but pastor, I've tried that. And sometimes the pain's still there. Don't quit. Don't quit. Lazarus, come forth. The widow's child. God is in the transformation and miracle business at all times. And so we need to be those who understand that our prayer should be, Lord, I'm good with you. As long as you're with me, I'm good with you. Don't accept disease and don't give it your name. Every disease tries to take your name. And they relate to us and identify us medically by our disease. Oh, what are you here for? When you walk in the doctor's office or you call them, what's wrong? 
And then you look at your chart, and on it they check mark this problem, that problem, this problem, that problem. And before you know it, you might have seen four or five specialists all telling you, you've got a problem. And you continue to add that baggage on. But that's not who you are. And that's not the pieces that God's leaving us into. Why do I bring up fear and disease? Because we have a worldwide, quote-unquote, pandemic that they're telling us is a plague, but in reality, it's a fear. I'll say it again. They're telling us it's a plague, but in reality, it's a fear. Do you know that more people die of heart attacks still than that plague? Do you know that more babies are being aborted than that plague? Do you know that there's all kind of other incidents that are killing people more than that plague? But yet we hear so much about it that that's our fear. It's our fear so much that we're losing our identity in God. Now, it's okay to be careful. We should always be careful, right? I mean, there are things I would love to eat more and more of, but they tell me if I do, it's bad for my system. I don't know. I tell my system all things are good of God. But I be careful, right? And there are times that the Lord has used me to not be worried, to not be worried about having to be so sterile and in such a condition to be afraid to lay my hands and pray on somebody who has some awesome, awfully contagious disease. But, you know, I just have a problem looking into the eyes of somebody telling them God sent me there and I'm going to pray and heal you. And I am masked up and covered up and I look like I came out of a spacesuit. And if you're them and you're looking, you say, really, I'm that bad? And so God sends me in many times. I just pray for him. And guess what? I've never gotten once what they've had. Not once. I've had people put in my hands that were hours from death with HIV. Stuff oozing out of their bodies. My arms soaked with what came out of their body. Sitting there. And they were brought up to me on a stage. Believing God for a miracle. And what do we do? Do we say, oh. I can't touch you. I'm going to pray for you from over here. You see, God's ways aren't man's ways. And there's a power that God puts inside of us. So I'm taking us to some extremes so that I can bring us back again and deal with some things. We touched last week on jars of clay. And we touched on the skill of the potter. I'd like to take us to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I meant to call uh, David and say, Reese, yesterday, and I apologize, I just didn't get to it, and say, could you bring us a video or send us a video of your son molding something? Well, they sent me one last week, but he was having fun in the camera, and I didn't want to put that in there. I thought that was a little, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it myself, but I didn't know if they would. But the skill that he has in molding a jar or molding pottery is, is unfathomable. And he has fun with it and does it so easily. And in, in this period of a couple minutes, he'll take a piece of clay, a hunk of clay, and he, has, he calls it by a special name because it has special qualities in it that allows him to do more with it. And he'll take it and stretch it up three feet and down to two inches and mold it into a whole bunch of things. And I, I'm over there watching it and saying, stop, stop, that's good, keep that one. And he laughs and pushes it down and moves into something else and moves just his fingertip or a finger, and then you could see him pushing with a lot of pressure and then being so delicate to grab every little line. And as I thought of that, we go back to the book of Jeremiah, verse, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. I guess we don't have the cameras working. Is that it? 
Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. And uh, I need to get my Bible then because I thought we were going to have it on the screen. Allow me to get it one moment so I can read it to you. We came in this morning and there was a bit of an attack in the house. And uh, we had a problem with sound and everything else and speakers. And so the enemy, uh, you know, whatever it is, I don't want to read too much into it, but it wasn't a lightning strike. And uh, it was fine when everybody left. So, okay. So the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, and as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Well, a little interesting read about uh, the potter in this area. As I researched it more, you know, we've all heard and seen messages about the potter and the clay, but this one caught me and it came from a scholar who had done some homework researching the geography with the Word of God. And one of my mentors uh, early on uh, when I was, first went to Israel was the man who, a Jewish uh, uh, archaeologist, uh, a conservative, uh, orthodox actually, who took a liking to me and, and me to he. And every time I went there, I would sit in his presence and he would discuss the word of God with me according to archaeology. He was the founder of the Bible Land Museum that was there. It's still there. And his daughter, I think, runs it and it's in the family trust. Tremendous man of God. And I've had a blessing as I look at it in my life for God to just put me with certain people for a, for a segment of time that would speak into me and give me a passion and a life and an understanding of how important it is understanding the environment and the culture of the Word of God. And as we look at that, um, this scholar said that the potter's house was not a single person. It wasn't just a house that was went to. Rather, all of Jerusalem uh, pottery came from one area considered to be the house of pottery. Interesting, that neighborhood he identified was outside of the city walls. It wasn't within the city walls. Uh, because Jerusalem rests on a hill, right? You've seen it. Um, but to reach the, this potter's house, you had to go out of the gate of the city, go through the valley of Hinnom, and up a hillside. And that was the hillside where they took their garbage, and they burned their garbage, and they called it, of all things, Gehenna. What is Gehenna? That's where we get the glimpse and the understanding of hell. So literally where this was being crafted, this pottery was in the same place that the garbage and the sin was being deposited. And the kings of Judah even sacrificed their children in this place called Gehenna to the ancient idols. And it brought a curse upon that place and upon the people. And so this notion of hell comes from this valley, and it's the place of the dead. And the prophet walked through the people's sins. Jeremiah had to go through that place. Now, he probably thought he was going to get a whole different word from God going to the place, the garbage dump, the place of, of, of Gehenna, the place of hell, the place of death. And in the garbage and in that place of the stench, 
what he saw was a, was a potter. Even so must we be able to walk through those places that are not very tasteful to us, memories that we don't want to revisit, places and environments and recalls that we would rather just avoid. But yet we have to go through that place. We have to go to the place where the potter is. We have to go to the place where God is doing his work. And where he does his work is at the place that we need the work done at. Right? And so in this place, the potter taught Jeremiah a lesson, first of all, about Israel. And what he said was that he would once again take these broken pieces and remold them. He didn't break the mold. God didn't break the mold of man. He didn't break your mold. He would take them and remold them into a people that would have a heart. And that this heart would be, as he called it, a heart of flesh. And Jeremiah, we love to, to preach that as it correlates to the New Testament, that God would take out a stony heart and give us a new heart, a heart that has a spirit in it. So in one end, we can say is that God is not finished with us. He's never finished with us. And we want to move into that a little bit longer if we can. Something about the way that the potter's will in that time worked. Now, by looking at the video from David and Say of their son, their very talented son, uh, he has an electric will and has a real setup in there that he has put together for a long time, I guess. And it's where he hones his skill and it keeps moving and moving and moving. But at that time, it was a wheel that was moved by pumping your feet and a wheel that turned a wheel. And in that sense, there was a preparation that went and you had to get the right clay and then you had to begin to work the clay and you had to put water to the clay. And as it wheeled more and more, it became drier and drier and you had to continue to water it and sort of knead it and squeeze it and saturate it and put pressure on it into a shape. And um, before it looked like anything else, sometimes pieces would crumble off and the choice was, do I throw the rest of the clay away or do I try to knead it and make it into something else? And it was marred, even as the word said unto Jeremiah. And with that, we could see that the hand of the Lord takes those marred pieces and puts them back into the hole and adds some more spirit on it, some more water on it, some more life on it, puts some more pressure on it. And we begin to understand that it's under this pressure that the, the, the pottery itself begins to mold. With no pressure, nothing happens. It just spins. But it needs pressure in order to mold. And I think what it shows us is that life can be messy. One of the headlines that we shared a couple weeks ago, that nobody goes through life without damage. Nobody. Everybody gets damaged. And we're always vulnerable to being damaged, aren't we? In some way, somehow, through relationships, through our own fears, through diseases, through whatever it is. I once heard a pastor, a brother of mine in Kojic, say to me, there's no church, no hurt worse than a church hurt. 
Because that's the hospital, isn't it? That's the place people will be able to come and feel safe. That's the place where nobody there should try to judge you and consider who you are or how you came, but just be grateful that you're there and be willing to say, but for the grace of God, there go I. And to accept in love. On time, fortunately, at times, the church doesn't function as it should. And there is hurt. There is church hurt. And if I could tell you that one of my, if not my greatest prayer and concern as a pastor is that I defend and become a shield for anyone to have church hurt. And when somebody tells me they're hurt because of something in the church, it hurts me. One of the hardest things for me to do is to bring correction. Even when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and saying, that's out of order, bring correction, son. And I do it out of obedience to God and to the other people that are supposed to be touched that way. I know it may hurt somebody. I've had people get up and walk out because I've asked them to stop something. Not to hurt them, but because church hurt is a deep wound. But I've also realized that I too have been wounded in churches. <laughs> Some of us that were here, a few of us, we remember Pleasant Valley well, uh, well, very well, and a dear friend of ours who we were influential in helping him to transfer from Pleasant Valley, Niles, Ohio, to Jerusalem, Israel, and become the, the uh, pastor, a pastor over there, and a chaplain of the International Christian Embassy. Jerusalem, what man intended for bad, God made for good, changed his whole life. And moved him there, and not but a year before that, in that church was being taught as a doctrine replacement theology. He didn't stop it, but he didn't know it. He didn't understand it, but there was one Bible teacher that, that was filling everybody's head with replacement theology. And I came against that. And because I came against that, some people came against me. They began to make lies about my wife and I. And they sent letters out to over 900 people. They got the mailing list. Interesting. You know, you don't have to be a Sherlock Holmes to wonder how did somebody get the mailing list. It usually goes back to the treasurer. Huh. A lot of things go back to the treasurer. But in my heart and spirit, I said, let it go. They stood up. They accused me of beating my wife, that the police were at our house, all kind of things. And she just said, let's get out of here. <laughs> and the Lord said, stay there. So it wasn't one wound, it was multiple wounds over and over and over. And the church so much wanted a man that they ended up with Saul who destroyed the church. And today doesn't even serve God anymore. In fact, I was told he was in a psychiatric ward. You got to be careful coming against God's anointed. You got to be careful coming against pod people. But you know what my heart was? How do I protect them from hurting themselves? Even at that point when I wanted to fight, and I could tell you other instances, you know, going to Miami and a man seeking me out, coming to my house, telling me God sent him to help him build the English service. And I go in and we're building it and then he'd sit me down. And it was as if it was Saul throwing a spear at me. And all I did was serve. And we'd start back up and the church was growing and the English service was moved four or five times, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday afterwards, all kind of different times, but the people kept coming to the English service. And four or five times sat me down with the spear. Four or five times it was like, Lord, all I do is serve. But you see, 
God allows that pressure to do a work inside of us, and it's what we do with that which we have experienced. What do we transform it into? Bitterness? Disloyalty? I stop? I quit? I run? I leave? All kind of reactions we have because of these earthen vessels, this flesh that is literally the enemy of the Spirit. Right? We, we are an embodied person with three beings, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is three beings in His image and in His likeness. But the difference is those three are one and in unity, but our three are not one and in unity until finally we're free of this prison that we call this body. And our spirit is set free and the flesh is stopped. It's how we react to what God has given us. Very interesting. One of the words that the Lord put, I believe it was in the fourth verse. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. Help Eddie up. Thank you, Eddie. Pray for him quickly. You all right, son? You fall asleep on me? That's okay. Don't worry about it. Just so you're good. Eddie's faithful. He had some major surgery on the top of his head only about a month ago. He doesn't quit. And it was, it was successful surgery. They had to go in and release pressure from his brain. Eddie's faithful, and God knows that, Eddie. And the vessel that he made of clay was barred in the hand of the parlor. How many of you are courageous and bold enough to say, I've, I've, got, some, I've got some scars. I've got some gouges out of this vessel. I've got some deep wounds. I got some stuff that I didn't deserve and I didn't understand, but it's there. Do you know that the way the fear works the most is that it will try to reactivate something that you've already had to experience? One of the hardest things to adjust to isn't so much overcoming a disease. It is, but it's not. Been there and done that. I've had a storied life that I didn't even understand. When I was a child, I had leukemia. They gave me less than 24 hours to live. Here I stand. I don't remember those moments. I was less than two years old. Fought it for six months. I was told I'd never walk again with crippling arthritis. That I remember. Pain like you'd never forget. Have to overcome wanting to just give in and quit. A plane that was destined to run into an embankment wall. I was counting the seconds. And God miraculously stopped it and I walked out of it. A gun put to my head, the trigger pulled. The bullet didn't come out. Seconds later, the man blew his, whole, his own hand off with a hollow tip bullet. I've been at that premise. I've seen it. And I'm not trying to tell you that I understand everybody's problems, but I will tell you this. I see the potter's hand. Potter's hand is there all the time. It's not only extraneous circumstances and people that mar us. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's us. We make bad decisions. We can't blame everything on somebody else. In fact, we really shouldn't blame anything on anybody else because if we do, it means they still have control over our experience. Take it back. 
You know how you take it back? You ask for forgiveness and you give forgiveness. That's how you take it back. Unforgiveness chains us to that problem, that person. They still have control over us because we haven't taken it back. God is the polisher. Now, I watched an old video, and I suppose it was showing how it was done in the old time, and when the clay would begin to clump a little bit, and the potter would rub a little water on it, and the clay didn't quite have the same texture as the other clay, the, the potter's finger would so skillfully go in and clip it out. And then the potter would grab some fresh clay that was already brought up to water and polish it in there and keep the wheel going until you couldn't tell the difference. Very interesting how people deal with broken heirlooms. Some people throw them away. Something old breaks. Get it out of here. It was old anyway. Other people keep them broken. Some people get super glue or Elmer's glue or something. They try to put them back together and you look at it. You can tell. It doesn't quite look right. But there's a Japanese art for taking broken pottery. I probably pronounce it wrong, but David, ask your son. He'll correct me. It's saguni or something like that, sagunami. And you know, the Japanese, they really hold up their elders. A lot of the, the Oriental culture does. We would do well to learn by that respect. And in holding up their elders, they would esteem those little items that were passed down from centuries and grandma to grandma and grandma to grandma. That's why whenever I see an old dining room set that comes from somebody's grandma. I won't let people throw it or give it. I say, I'll take it. And much to the chagrin of my one son-in-law, the last couple of days, he had to move about three of those and find places to pack them in because I took them because I knew it was somebody's grandma somewhere. And I remember how proud my grandma was of her set that came from her mother. I remember how proud my mother was of her first sofa and chair. And she gave it to my wife and I because my brother didn't want it. I'm not judging my brother, but the Lord knew in my heart, I said, yes, we'll take it. And we didn't know what to do with it because it was colors that didn't match anything. And it was old and one of the claws was broken. And do you know where that is today? Turn on New Creation Woman and look at the set. My daughter's taste and how to recover it. And that's the set for new creation woman. Broken pieces that God put together that became the seat of good women sitting on it, ministering over 100 programs now throughout the world on something old that people thought had no value. Beloved, you have so much value. You have so much value. I feel the presence of the Lord speaking to you through me. One thing I've learned about the heart of the Lord, we need to be willing to be vulnerable. I had a brother, actually I'll name him, he'll be watching if not today, tonight, Bruce McKenzie, I love him dearly. He speaks things into my life sometimes so quietly, so softly, I need it. 
and he saw me get beat up a couple times. He said, brother, that grace. I said, Bruce, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. I know when I let that guard down, I'm going to be violated. But I must remain vulnerable for God. Because look at my Jesus. How could I ever, ever hold my hand up to him if I'm not willing? So, beloved, that's how God works in us with those mars and with those scars. He's fixing them. The enemy will try to bring them back to us. He'll try to repeat the same pattern in our lives. We need to stop the patterns, first with our mouths, and then our minds, and then our actions. We must not do what we did before in the same way. And the way we do that is by the Word of God, and by faith, and by grace. I often say, you really want to work for the Lord, you really want to be a testament for God, have tough skin in the flesh, real tough. Not tough that despises and hurts. Tough that won't allow that nail, that dart, that fiery dart to penetrate. The one that flicks it off. And at the same time, like the super new creation person that we are, we open up our chest and we say vulnerable. A heart of God. Go ahead, take a piece if you must. He'll give me another one. Take what you want. Sup in my own spirit. The sagami, Japanese, they take that broken piece and they take the pieces and they set them down and they go to a special tree and they take the sap out the natural sap and then they add gold to it they do whatever they need to do to acquire that gold they sell something they trade something they melt something down and all of a sudden that liquid becomes gold in hue and color and even in some substance and then they very carefully put the pieces back and then they put it back on their shelf and when the family looks at it they don't look at something and say, oh, that was broken. Look at that piece of junk. They look at something that has gold lines repairing it, and they honor it. The Lord says to us, come to me, all ye are heavy laden and burdened down. Take my yoke upon you. I'll put the pieces back together. I'm molded right back perfect. And if you allow me, where there's something that's in too deep that won't polish, let me dig it out. Don't worry, I'll refill it. And by the way, don't be shamed and worried about the broken parts. Magnify them with the gold of my faith, my grace, my love. Let all who look upon you see it's not the beauty of the vessel, it's the beauty of me in you, the heavenly treasures.
But God has made these vessels so that they can be filled abundant with heavenly treasures. Show it off with your love, with your grace, with your forgiveness. Never stop doing a work on ourselves. For the potter, he has everything he needs and never quits the wheel. Finally, this about wheels. While I'm sharing this, if we could pass out the communion elements, I would appreciate it. It was late February, very cold day, 1980. I'd only been in the Lord a few weeks in the sense that I was proclaimed Jesus as Lord. I'd been pursuing him as God for a while, but I didn't get the revelation of Christ until just a little before that in the winter, a little later than this week couple weeks later. My father summoned my brother back from Germany. He was serving on an army base as a medical doctor. My father had watched me go and build an altar on the farm in Hubbard, and he watched me perform sacrifices on that farm, and he watched me practice the law of a priest, a Levitical priest, and Obviously, that was shocking, would it not be? No matter who you are, what you thought. He also watched little miracles taking place. Things that I saw and said would happen. Obviously, very confused. And so, he summoned my brother back, and my brother had one task to talk me into getting some help somewhere, somehow, to try and save his brother, the doctor. So I met with him and we talked and he said to me, listen, I'd I'd like to set it up so you could talk to somebody. I said, really, who? He said, I don't know, but somebody that you would open up to and talk to and they could help you. He said, I mean, after all, you... Prior to this, you led a pretty crazy life. Maybe you damaged your brain. Maybe there's issues with the tissues. I don't know, he said, but let me get you somebody. And then he played the father card. And if nothing else, do it for your parents. I said, eh. Right after I'd been studying about honor your father and your mother. I said, eh, in the law. Okay, let's do this. I said, but I wanted to be a Christian. Because if you send me to a Jewish psychiatrist, he is not going to understand me. Okay, I'll find one. And he did. I don't know how. And it was time for me to go see this guy from the north side of Youngstown. He was in Austintown. He had a bunch of PhDs and MBs and DDDs after his name. And you see, I was at a point where I was just coming out of a vow of poverty and giving everything away, so I didn't have anything. I didn't have electric in my house. I didn't have water. I had an old car my uncle lent me. Funny thing about that car, it had pneumatic 
windshield wipers, if anybody remembers them. They only work when you put power down. If, if you didn't have the pedal down, the wipers slowed down. And this was so old that they would come to a stop. And so I got in that car with the $50, $50 that my mother gave me. And she made me promise, along with these brand new blue gloves to keep my hands warm because in a street fight, I fought till they bled and they, both of them were broken. One of the hardest fights of my life, but my hands got frostbitten and I almost lost them. So my mom gave me these gloves because I'd given everything else away and she made me promise to keep them. She said, you need these, son. Okay. And I got in the car. But something happened between night and morning. It's called six inches of Ohio snow. And it landed right on Route 11 coming off of Belmont. So I made my way to it. I got onto the freeway and there was hardly anybody there. The freeways were empty. It was filled with snow and I'm trying to go down the road because I promised I would go. I didn't have a phone. There was no such thing as a cell phone. I didn't have a house phone. I didn't have anything. I had $50 and an army jacket, a quarter tank of gas, and these gloves. And the wipers were, and the snow was so heavy, it was having a hard time pushing it. By the way, it was my Uncle Chuck who lent me the car, Cindy's dad, because I'd given my other two Mercedes away. Yeah, titles and all. <laughs> Went from two Mercedes a year before to a broken down car. I gave everything away. And I'm going down and I see this figure in the road, not far off of the exit on 193. And I swerve around to miss him and I feel this voice that had been talking to me and had led me to Christ say to me, son, if you don't pick him up, you'll never be the same. So I pull over the side of the road and a truck comes by and my car shakes and the windshield is filling up with snow and I'm thinking, oh man, I got to get out and get this off. The snow's accumulating and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like this and he just walking as slow as Moses. Just like this, trucking slow and as he got closer, I saw his blonde hair blowing in the wind. I saw... Strangely enough, the snow wasn't sticking to him like it was me. And he had on a blue lightweight jacket. Looked like he just came from Malibu. And he just walked ever so slowly. <coughs> Went right up to the passenger door, opened it and got in. Say a word. I said, hey, you're in a bad way out here. I want to take you to where you're going. Where are you going? He said, wherever you're going. I said, I don't know if you can go where I'm going, but let's go. We went up the road, windshield wipers. You see, sometimes when God's working, everything isn't perfect in your environment. We want everything to get right, right away. Sometimes we got to fight through it. No matter what it is, the flesh, the nature, the Mars, the scars the hurts, the wounds, the brokenness, the betrayals, failures. Sometimes it's our own self-esteem. I was about as low in self-esteem as a person could be at that moment.
Only thing keeping me alive was the fear of the Lord. Going up the highway, I began to preach to this person. I didn't know much, but I figured God wanted me to pick them up, tell them about Jesus. I didn't know much about Jesus. So I started to tell him, and he looked at me and smiled. He said, I know God. He's my father. He said, I was born on Christmas Day. And a power of God went through me, and my hair stood up, and I could remember everything in my body tingling as I looked at this guy. I don't know if I looked at him a long time or looked back at the road. I don't know who was driving the car. I don't know anything. I didn't care anymore about the windshield wipers. I didn't care about anything. And I asked him a few questions that were bothering me about things, and he gave me sort of like parody answers. They weren't real answers, but they were answers, things that I had to think about many times since. And then finally he said, stop. I said, what? He said, stop. I said, sir, we're, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's not even any cows out here. We're some, somewhere past Gerard on our way to Austin Town. I, there's nothing here. If I leave you off here, you're going to have no one to get you. He said, stop now. I pulled over to the side. He opened the door. As he opened it, he said, look at the wheels. This came to me this morning while I was praying. Look at the wheels in Ezekiel 10, the wheels of fire. I finally, after praying for so many years for more insight to the wheels, I realized it's the wheels of the fire of God that's working upon you and I in the body of Christ. It's the very fire of God going about as the spirit of the earth. The potter never stopping, never quitting, always in control of creation and all the creatures. It's the fire of the potter, the great creator. And I said, I'll do that. And he began to walk away. I said, I, I, I said here, please. And he turned and I threw him my gloves. I said, you need these much more than I do. He smiled at me. And he pointed his finger. He said, bless you. I watched him disappear in the snow. I don't know how long I was there. Long enough that my windshield was a real problem. I got out. No gloves. Pushed it off. First thought was, what am I going to tell mom? I went to the Christian psychiatrist. I walked in. I said, I'm sorry, I'm five minutes late. Something just happened to me. Well, I guess he jumped out. What happened to you? I said, you really want to know? He said, yeah. So I told him. He began to weep like a baby. He began to cry. And the brokenness of his own heart began to pour out to me. When I went to give him the $50, he said, oh no, I received more than I gave. The potter's will 
never stops. He'll meet you in a snowstorm. He'll meet you when none of the pieces are working right. He'll meet you when your self-esteem's the lowest. He'll meet you when everybody you know and love thinks you're crazy. He'll meet you when you're broke. He'll meet you when you're naked. He'll meet you when you have no honor. He'll meet you in your failures. And the potter puts all the pieces back together. And he molds us into something that we can pass on to our heirs. And the broken pieces, we don't need to be ashamed. He's outlined them in gold. Gold from heaven. Earthen vessels with the treasures of God. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't hinder God. It goes so much better when we walk with Him. Hold on. Hold fast. Persevere. Believe. Forgive. And don't bring back the old. How many times don't we bring back the old? Seventy times seven. (laughs) Seventy times seven. Lord, I already repented of this. Father, I already forgave, but he, she, they, they keep doing the same thing. Forgive again. And when you forgive, push it back. Don't let the past dictate our presence. And whatever we do, don't surrender it to the future. Hold fast. Hold fast. Jesus has it. He's got it.